with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Futurals, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And the area code here in Baton Rouge is 225. So you can use that to reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And right now is the perfect time to get your questions answered. Well, there you go. We are live and ready to answer some questions this morning. There you go. Of course, we had a week off, so we may be pushing some wrong buttons yeah. or stumbling <laughs> or stumbling. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> I think you can uh, probably get some kind of an answer. Oh, yeah. Back, Most definitely. <laughs> Let's see. I'll see. We've got a call already. We've got Marsh online. Good morning, Marsh. Yeah. I got a an 02 Chevy Avalanche uh-huh. with a 5.3. Got about 170000 on it. And I just got a code for, I think it's a P0332. Okay. Supposedly for a rear knock sensor. I've been okay. doing a little bit of research. Very, very common. And been doing a little bit of research, mm-hmm. and it seems like I got two knock sensors. Correct. And but, but the thing is, the car, the truck runs fine. It will. And I guess my question is basically this: Is there a group of trouble codes that you can, you know, do they have a certain priority? In other words, if you get this code, you got to take care of it immediately. And if you get this kind of code, then you know. Well, you can wait a couple of weeks yeah, or whatever. Yeah, certainly there are different levels of problems that codes represent that some are more critical than others. You know, the, for instance, right. a, a misfire code is extremely critical. And the reason that the light flashes with a misfire is because when it starts missing, that unburned fuel is going into the catalytic converter, and it'll knock a converter out in a heartbeat, and converter on your right. vehicle is probably twelve, fourteen hundred bucks. So the cost is going to get astronomically high now with a knock sensor it's probably not quite as critical however it is important because what the knock sensor does is that the computer will advance the timing as much as it can to give you better fuel mileage and better efficiency when it Mm -hmm. exceeds the amount that the fuel can tolerate it's going to start to knock or ping which damages the engines when the knock sensors see that, it feeds back to the computer and says, hey, you've gone too far, and it retards the timing slightly to keep it from damaging the engine. So without the knock sensors working, you could theoretically get into a situation where you had detonation going on in the engine, which can burn holes in the pistons, which can destroy right. the engine. So i got to say there's probably no code that's unimportant. Some are more critical right. than others. Certainly if you want to put it off a week or two, and that doesn't mean a year or two, a week or two, <laughs> and, and drive it gingerly. You know, don't be accelerating heavily and all that during that period. You could yeah. probably get by just fine. Now, those knock sensors are under the intake, so that the top of the yeah. the intake has to come off. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. you're most likely going to find is there's a rubber seal there in the top of the in, uh, top of the yeah, valley. Foam. There's two of them. Take them with a wire going through them. When you take those out, you're going to probably find one of them's got water in it. Yeah, it's probably rusted. It's going to exactly. have a bunch of rust and stuff Water in it. puddles up in there. Clean all that you can get out of there out before you try to take that knock sensor out because that trash, that knock sensor screws directly down into the valley. And if you all take right. it out, all that trash is going to go inside the engine. Right. May mm-hmm. cause you trouble, may not. When you get ready to put it back together, get you two new knock sensors, and there's also an updated wiring a harness, harness yeah. for it. <laughs> get those two, and in the technical bulletins that we get, they want you to take a tube of RTV and build a little dam around it, leaving right. a leaving a void in the back. So and what that out. does, what yeah, right. What that does is that when the water hits that little RTV dam, it runs around it. 
And if exactly. any should get in it, it could flow theoretically out flow out the back. Mm-hmm. And you want to do that on both of the knock sensors and get you some quality intake gaskets when you put it back together because I'm sure that the intake gaskets that are on there now are, are torn. Well, and they're not they're, they're gonna... the original gaskets had a problem where they would compact down over time and start throwing a code 174 and 171 and even a PO300 yeah. that got bad enough of misfire when it was cold. And it's an updated gasket, but virtually everything you buy is going to be the updated right. gasket. That's been out for several years. The original ones were, had a teal color, didn't they? And I think the originals were, were uh, sort of an orangish red, and the teal, I think, was, was the a replacement. I don't remember. It's been so long since mm-hmm. we've done one. But now, I've read where it could be it could be corrosion, et cetera, in, in, in it's referring to the rear uh, knock sensor. Yes. So the fact that it has two knock sensors. Change them both. Yeah, right. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, change You're in there. both sensors and the harness. Because it could be the harness itself is bad. It could be either one of the right. sensors. The, the thing is, when you got to take the intake manifold off, you change one, put it back. There's no way to test it right. once the manifold's on right. there. It's all back together. So, crank it up. Yeah, then see, so you still got the same code. So it, it's prudent right. to change both sensors and the harness every time because there's no way to Excellent. truly diagnose them. And they're not expensive. I think the little, yeah, the, not much. little sensors maybe 30 40 bucks a piece, and the harness is maybe another 40 50 bucks. I mean, if yeah. you go to the extent of pulling the intake manifold off, you just soon change both sensors and the harness. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no shortcut to get to to get to them without no. taking the manifold. No, off. and it's no. not that bad of a deal. It's it's just fairly easy. Bolts on top. Now we also there's a replacement bolt that we you got to buy from GM because the way that thing bolts down, the bolt doesn't tighten against that intake. It has like a urethane cushion in it, and it squeezes the cushion, and the cushion pushes the intake down tight. What happens is those little cushions pack down over time, and when you put the original bolts back in, it'll start leaking on you. So uh, go to my website and just type in GM intake, and you're going to see an article with part numbers and everything on on that topic. When you go to get the bolts, tell them you want the bolts for the entire intake, not just a box of bolts because they come in. It takes two boxes. Right, five bolts in a box, and it takes ten bolts or something Something like that. that. Exactly. You, you got to watch. If you go to GM, those guys, I don't know if they just never change those bolts or whatever, but they'll send us like one bolt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, or one box. Or one box. Yeah. yeah. You, you got to tell them you want a full set, which is two boxes. And like I said, the part number, I think, is on my website under that topic. Oh, excellent. But excellent. If, you, if you don't change those bolts, you'll be back in probably six months with a lean code. Right. Misfired idle. Okay. Well, I really thank you a lot. I got a lot of information there. Okay, man. Well, where are you okay. calling from? I'm calling. I'm actually in Virginia, but I live in Massachusetts. I'm visiting uh, my daughter-in-law for uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, okay, great. Wow. Yeah, we, just, we were just in Virginia. We were just in Williamsburg uh, last week. Yeah, I'm in the Ashburn, which is mm-hmm. uh, just outside of D.C. Ah, okay, good. Great. Good deal. All right, well, well thank you. It's been nice talking to you, Well, thanks thank for you. calling, guy. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Too. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. You can call from Virginia. You can call from Baton Rouge. That's right. That's right. And, you know, that advice we give was right on the nose. You know, you're going in there. You're going mm-hmm. through all the labor to get to the parts. Change them both and the harness. Put it back together, and you're done. Well, unfortunately, there is no way to truly diagnose that problem other than it is a problem with the knock sensor area because all it throws is a knock sensor circuit code. Right. It doesn't tell you if it's the front sensor or the back sensor yeah. or the wiring harness. Well, it could be the harness itself that's sure. corroded. It could sure. be one or, a, or both of the sensors that are corroded. There's just no way to tell without guessing at one, change it, putting it all back together, see if you still got the same code. But, I, I mean, the parts yeah. prices are cheap enough. Generally, they're all the same age anyway. Right. So why wouldn't you just go ahead and just change all three pieces and that way you know you got a fix. Yeah, to, I like to work on something once and be done with it. Well, that's you know? <laughs> it. it. It's sort of like if you've got a misfire and you suspect 
an ignition coil on one of the cars where the ignition coils are under the intake manifold. Right. Well, you can't really check or test or even see the other calls because they're under the intake until you get it off. So why wouldn't you change all three of them? Exactly. Or, or have them to have under the intake. Just those are too difficult to come back and get to. If one's failed, the other one's been down the same road. Well, and there again, if you're going for the coil, most likely you're going to change the plugs too. That's right. Change the plugs. And what I like to do is if I'm putting a new coil on, even if it's in the front mm -hmm. and I've got the intake off, I'll put the new coil in the back. Right. Under the intake. Right. And that way you kind of lessen your, your chances of having a problem. Exactly. And, and if you don't want to change all six calls or however many they may have, you can at least change the three under the intake. Right. The because the other three are easy to get to. Oh, yeah. Piece so of cake. So let's say you've got a bad one in the front and a bad one in the back. Well, if you're going to put two, just put three, put all three under the intake, put the good ones on the front. From the back to the front. And keep the other one just for a spare. That's right. And then later on, if it fails, it's a 10-minute job That's instead that. of a three-hour exactly. job. Exactly. So, you know, just one of those little tips that we like to try to do. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to our phone lines. CJ, good morning, CJ. Good morning. How are you fellas doing, doing today? We are sir. doing wonderful. I have a 2001 Dodge Durango rear-wheel drive on the front end. The, uh, the spindles for the wheels, the where the wheel bearings and everything mm -hmm. are, that comes in one assembly. Correct. Okay, my question is, I noticed there is a spring clip that on the inside that seems to hold that bearing assembly into that hub. Do you recommend repacking the grease bearing? No, there's no way to no, pack sir. that bearing. It's a sealed unit. You can't take it apart. You would destroy it trying to take it apart. It's, it's, it's a, a clip ring, though. What is that? Does that hold I'm it I'm not sure it? what clip you're talking about. There's bolts on it, the it's back. It's a spring. It's a spring clip. Yeah, I, I, I don't I'm know. Not there, sure there's on a bolts bearing. on the back that hold it to the knuckle, and it's either it's sealed from the front or it may have... It's not a four-wheel drive. It's a two-wheel drive? A two-wheel drive. Some of the updated bearings fit either two-wheel or four-wheel drive. They get to where they just sold the four-wheel drive units since they would adapt to the two-wheel drive, and they've okay. got the hole in the splines there for the four-wheel drive axle to come through. But it doesn't do anything. But it, you don't need it. And that's with the Moog line. I'm, I'm not sure about any of the other manufacturers. Yeah, I'm not really, really sure what clip I'm not, you're talking There's some clips that, that, that hold, hold like the, some brake parts and stuff on. And the, the but uh, that ABS should be bolt, It should be bolted in from the back. Yeah. Either three well, or four bolts that just go straight in the bearing. We take those out, take the caliper off, take the rotor off, the whole bearing will just come off. But it's a sealed unit. You can't take it apart physically. It won't come okay. apart. Okay. Uh, the reason why I was asking, it seems as if this could be taken apart. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering if y'all ever did anything or recommended. I no. guess I'll just leave it alone. No. If it comes apart, it's not going back together. Right. Because you know, they're, they're <laughs> okay. pressed apart. And, and the they're races are actually part of that outside hub. Then the balls are in it, and it's kind of all put together as one assembly. You take it apart, it just goes everywhere, and it won't go back together. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I like to tell the fellas at work, I have three kinds of hammers, uh, small, medium, and large. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it will come apart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with enough, enough force, almost anything will happen. That's it. But, uh, yeah, it won't go back together. <laughs> well, thank you for the advice. Look, you have a good day. Okay, all right, Jay, thanks, thank man. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. You're part of the automotive ops. And we got Dave online. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Brad and Lewis. Hey, I got an 08 Dodge Ram. And the other day I was putting in a fence and my anti-lock brake light came on. And then about a week later I was pulling a trailer and it was pretty heavy and the anti-lock brake light came on again. Right. Mm -hmm. But it goes off when I unload it or unhook the trailer. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's a number of possibilities there, Dave. One thing, all codes. On, on basically everything, are going to run on what they call drive cycles. 
not every code runs on every drive cycle. So if it doesn't run on the particular drive cycle that you are talking about, the light may go off. That doesn't mean anything at all. The it code. just moves the code from active memory to history. So it's still there, and it can still be diagnosed. It will come back. It's not like it's fixed or it goes away. It's just not executing the test at that time. For instance, you may have to get to 60, 65 miles an hour for a particular test to run. So if you get in your truck and you drive it up 40, 50, and then you slow down, and then you go up 40, 50, and slow down, and then you park the truck and turn it off, it's not ever going to run. So you, you cycle a key. It's a new world every time. Same thing next time. Other codes may have to go from a cold start up. So if you start the truck, drive it 40, 50, turn it off, and then start again, even if you drive it 60, it's not a cold start. So there's all these little parameters as to when the codes will run. So you can't go by the fact that it's going on and going off. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's just a matter of getting in there with the right equipment, pulling the code, and diagnosing. Start out with the code to see what kind of a code you got. You know, Is it a hydraulic code? Is it a circuit code? Is it a sensor code? Then from there, you start testing the individual components, and you can narrow it down. Now, one other possibility, you say you were towing both times. If you've got a trailer hitch on it, it is possible you have some type of malfunction in your trailer that's backing up through the electrical system and just setting a problem like that. The only way to know that would be do not connect the trailer, drive it a long enough distance at a high enough speed, and if light never comes back without that hooked up, then, again, you would have to go to your codes see what type of code it is and it may be that something in the wiring is causing it yeah it only does it when i got a load on the truck mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now see load that probably means you got that trailer plugged in or something else connected yeah i didn't have the trailer plugged in but it still came on and yeah. one time i just had a heavy load in the back like concrete and all that yeah see it wouldn't know that the only i mean i'm not saying that doesn't affect it because it could have the truck sitting down lower and a wire moves because of it but the ABS doesn't know how much load's on the car. It has. It doesn't have a load sensor or anything that would okay. know anything about that. However, that's not to say that couldn't bring it on. I mean, if it pushes the bed down, there's a wire in there, and it's touching that wire, yeah, obviously. I know on that truck, the number one ABS repair we do are the wheel speed sensors. They're pretty common to go out, and they're fairly easy to change and not too, too expensive. But that's the number one repair. It just doesn't mean that's the only repair because that system there's, can set yeah. about six or 700 different codes. Okay, so that code's still in the memory. Yes, it is. Should be in. in now, that will not be in the OBD2 memory. You right. can't get that with a code reader. you got to have something that can go to the chassis module on that truck and, and read that code. It'll be in the chassis module. And if you disconnect the battery, it's all gone. Yeah, everything's gone. Or the gone. battery goes I, dead, it, it's gone. Yes, yeah, so you got to yeah, get it checked. I learned that the hard way. Yeah, <laughs> that just makes it 10 times harder to try to fix. Yep. Yeah. All right, thank you. Okay, All man. right, sir. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. Herb, you hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. If you... Ever plan to motor west? Shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate, 
Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I, I mean vehicle. Uh, improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we've got Herb on the line. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Back in September, I think it happened September the 10th, I called y'all and told you about the world of rats got in my daughter-in-law that lives in Georgia's car. Mm-hmm. It was 2015 Focus. Okay. Well, they took it, State Farm took it to the body shop because I guess for the plastic and the insulation fixing. And then somewhere along the way, they pulled the engine out of it because they couldn't get the wiring harness out. No other way they said it went down through some hole. And then it went to the Ford place. They fixed it. And he'd come home, what they're doing, resetting the codes, I guess, and they'd come home and drive it a day or two, and then all the lights would come back on, and it wouldn't run what's flipped. Well, Friday, the State Farm called him and told him they totaled the thing. Now, hmm, darn. Didn't have many miles on it, but yeah. it was uh, just totally because of the squirrel. You know? I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> I tell you, rodents can do an yeah, inordinate amount of damage, man. Yeah. yeah they can Let's... definitely get in there and chew some stuff up that can really, really be difficult. I know we run across that quite a bit. And usually around this time right. of year when it starts getting cold, you're looking for a, 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 place a warm, nest. safe place, and they'll start yeah, getting there and chew the devil out the wires. Something that don't move very often, boy, mm-hmm. they'll build in it in a hurry, especially yeah, if, if you're out. sits for a week or so. Yeah. We had one. Was a, Go ahead, Herb. She said this was a, the first time she parked in that place. It was. It turned. had a cold snap, and the car come in at 1030 at night, and it was warm. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. They moved inside. This is going to be a good place to live, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was warm. It's dark. Predators can't really normally get to them, and it, yeah. it's a good place. It's a so great environment. The wires up. <laughs> it's something about the coating they put on a wire. I don't know what it is that they're the Well, they just light. gnaw. They just gnaw. They got to gnaw to cut the teeth back. But I've noticed if there's any food around, like if you have any dog food oh, or anything yeah. that you leave out, that tends to make them a whole lot worse because it brings them into the area. Or if there's any standing garbage or anything like that around you know, where they can have a food source or a water source, uh, that they're definitely not, makes the problem worse. They're not going to nest real far from a food source. Right. Yeah, this was right in the edge of the woods where that lived. Yeah, in, so. that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I kept thinking of y'all every time he'd call me and tell me the latest. <laughs> you know, and I said, you got to do it right the first time. I yeah, that's that. right. <laughs> yep. So I thought I'd just add that in. We'll see you another day then. All right, All right sir. Thanks, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. You want to be part of the automotive art, we would love to have you. And we've got Jimmy online. Good morning, Jimmy. Hey, good morning, Lewis. Uh, how was your vacation? It was wonderful. Good, good. I'm glad to hear y'all back. Uh, look, I got a 08 Nissan Xterra. Mm-hmm. I've got a high idle when I first crank it up from a cold start. Anything you can how tell high, about how that? How high is it, Jimmy? It's over 2,000, about oh. 20, a little over 2,000. Okay, and how long does it persist? Well, until it, well, well, I usually take my chance and throw it in gear and back out of the driveway. By the time I get up to the road, maybe, you know, just a half a mile or so, it's, it's, it's about, about to normal. Yeah, I was going to say, because some of that can be normal if the weather is colder, it's going to command a faster idle. 2,000 seems too high. Yeah. If it comes down real fast, it's generally not a big problem. That's going to normally be fairly involved to address. It's either going to be the throttle body itself has malfunctioned and can't control idle, or one of the input sensors that it has to have is given a false input. And it can be kind of the devil to narrow that down because there's so many things that affect idle. But there is no kind of adjustment. There's no kind of thing that you can do other than 
check all the inputs and see which input is wrong, and then the computer is going to command the idle back down. With a, a Nissan scan tool, you can plug in, you can see what's being commanded. And if the computer's commanding 700 and it's idling at 2,000, then you know that it's in the throttle body, the problem. However, if it's commanding 2,000, then it's one of the inputs is wrong. It thinks it's 30 degrees outside or it thinks it's 10 degrees outside or it thinks something else that's going on that's not going on and it's commanding it up. So you, you'd have to know whether it's commanded up idle or if it's just up. One other possibility, Jimmy, you might just make sure you don't have any kind of vacuum leak on it because what a vacuum leak does is that when extra air enters the engine, the oxygen sensors and all that is going to see that it's too lean. So it's going to start adding fuel. And when you add air and fuel, the idle goes up. So that's the only thing simple would be some kind of a vacuum leak. But on that particular one, that's not a real common issue. More likely to be one of the inputs or be the throttle body. No check engine light? No check engine light. It'll throw one yeah, sooner or yeah, later because yeah. it can't control idle. It's going to eventually throw that light on. It just may not have caught it yet. It may be some pending codes in there that would give you an idea of what you know, what it is. You just have to have the instruments to go in and retrieve it and see where you go from there. Did y'all have those instruments? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, sir. Okay. I might set up a phone with y'all. Okay. Thank y'all. Sounds good, man. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. And we got Teddy on the line. Good morning, Teddy. Good morning to y'all gentlemen. Yes, Thank sir. you. I have a question about a tapping lifter. I have a 2007 GMC pickup truck. Okay. Yeah. It's been tapping for probably over 30,000 miles, yes. and I've tried to have it checked out. And they Teddy, let me, let me ask you a question before you go any further. Do you hear it when you first crank it up when it's cold and it goes away when it gets warm, or do you hear it after it gets warm? I hear it when, the, when it's warm and I started it clicked. You know, it taps mm-hmm. for a while, mm-hmm. then it goes off. But I've noticed now that it's got cool, it don't tap when I crank it, you know. But I may go 200 miles and, and be sitting there idling, mm-hmm. and it'll start tapping. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, almost every time on that truck, very likely your truck has what they call active fuel management because almost every uh-huh. one of them does. Yeah. And there's four lifters in there that are active fuel management lifters. Well, there's four sets of lifters. Four sets, yeah. Right. They're, they're a big, tall lifter with, like, a spring on it. And what they do, they can collapse under certain conditions. That's what, how they shut the cylinders down on the engine. Those have been uh-huh. very, very, very problematic, particularly when you start getting over 100,000 miles on it, particularly if you follow GM's recommendation on all changes. Those will gum up, and they'll go bad, and they'll start that tapping. Initially, it's going to be more of an annoyance. Eventually, it's going to turn into a misfire, and it can even damage some stuff inside the motor. As I say, if it gets too bad, what Long happens enough. is the it's a roller cam. The, the lifter has a roller on the bottom that rolls on the camshaft. Uh-huh. And the, the compartment that it's sitting in keeps that lifter from turning. So the roller always rolls in the same way across the cam face. And yes. what happens is eventually that little holder is made of plastic. And it will give up. And when it does, it lets that lifter turn, right? And it eats the camshaft and, and that's, to pieces. That's catastrophic, right? That, that'll basically total the motor because to get the lifters out is a big deal. You got to pull, pull the, pull the heads, heads off, yeah. the lifters. But to pull the cam, you got to take, I mean, a whole lot more stuff off. Yeah. So it gets if it eats up the cam, you just end up putting a new motor in it. Now, if it's just the lifters, you can change the lifters without changing the motor. How many miles you got, Teddy? Two hundred seventy-five thousand. Yeah, yeah. Never, and it's yeah. never gone over six thousand miles without all change. Yeah, well, again, six thousand miles doesn't mean anything. It depends on how you drive the vehicle. If you're doing a lot of highway driving, you could probably get by with that. 
If you all highway, yeah, yeah, you could probably get by with that. It's just two hundred thousand miles. That's pretty much the life of that system. You know, you could just put up with it. That kind of mileage, it wouldn't make sense to go in and put lifters in. It would cost too much. You just didn't wait till the motor goes out and then make a decision whether you want to put a motor in it or just you start know, trade it or junk it or whatever you're going to do. It wouldn't. Well, you. You, you've answered every question I was wondering. So I'm, I'm going to just ride it till, it till it goes out. Yeah, it'll yeah. eventually start throwing a check engine light and a misfire. When right. it does that, you got to do something. Something could be for your motor because I love the truck and it's cheaper than buying another one. Something could be, hey, I'm going to junk it. Something could be, hey, whatever. Yeah. But whatever yeah. decision makes sense for you, I mean, it can certainly be repaired, but the heads have to come off to fix it. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty would, big that deal. Would, that would be a pretty expensive deal it would you'd, you'd be up twenty five hundred dollars on a motor that's at least two-thirds or, th- or three-quarters of the way through its life anyway yes, sir. yes and sir. and once it happens you don't know if the cam is messed up until you get the heads off and get the lifters out right so you can see it and see if the cam is messed up you're going to drop another 1500 on top of that right so you know you get to the point where it's cheaper to put a motor i mean for probably sixty five hundred bucks you can put a gm motor in there with and a three hundred thousand mile warranty and go on and, about your business yeah go for another two hundred thousand miles on it well, that's going to be the route I take. There you I go. certainly appreciate y'all's input. All right, Dan. All right, sir. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for calling, man. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Get, Get one more? Catch another one before the break? Yeah. yeah. He said, yeah. Oh, you got James online. Good morning, James. Hey, how you doing? Doing good great, morning. sir. Yeah, we got a problem with that old QX56 Infinity, mm-hmm. and the thing is about to freeze me. It heats and it gets cold and one thing for the other. You talking about the, the heater itself? Right, the heater with the air conditioning. Yeah, what year is that thing, James? 08. 08 model? Uh-huh. See, the the problem with Infinity is they are real. That's probably going to be one of the actuators under the dash that's gone bad. Infinity uh-huh. has discontinued almost all of that stuff on the older cars like that. You just can't get it anymore. And uh-huh. the last one we got into, the lady begged me and begged me and begged me and begged me to try to do something on it. And, I mean, we wasted a ton of time and never did get anything because you can't get the parts for it anymore i would probably yeah. check first and see if you can still get the parts if the actuators and all are still available if they are it's a big deal you have to pull the dash and all out to fix it but if you can't get the parts there's really no sense going there because you're gonna spend a whole lot of money you still ain't gonna have nothing when you're done i heard that all right okay now I know, I know. And, and like I said, check and see if those parts are available because I may be telling you wrong. I know the one we worked on, you couldn't, but that right. doesn't mean it's every one. You know, if they carried that model further forward. Use that part on something else, right. maybe. Different if model. those parts are available, or maybe there's just somebody with some of those parts hanging around. Sometimes you can find them. Some new old stock. Yeah, but if you can't get the parts, there's really not much sense in getting in there because there's not much you can do with it. Yeah. That's right. All right. All right, Danny. Okay, James. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take one more quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. Gotta run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah. A general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. 
Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar. And I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie, I mean my car, into Agco for a general inspection. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to Automotive Hour. If you just join us, we're more than happy to hear <laughs> here with us. Why well, you go? <laughs> See what happened one week off of the I'm telling you. Mine goes, you know. That's it. That's it. Hey, we sure appreciate you listening in to us and appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If you have a question or a comment, you just give us a call. We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. You can also visit our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button. Fill out the little form that pops up and send it on in. There you go. Sure wish you would. We really appreciate having input. That input from yeah. you. Yeah. There you go. Get your answer to your questions. And, you know, other than calling the show and getting a live answer. Right. Or sending an email, that's the only way to receive an answer from us. Correct. I know folks do call the shop a lot of times during the week. And it's not that I want to be rude to anyone or that I want to avoid you or anything like that. But that is a functioning automotive shop. I do have a job there, and I just can't stop and come to the phone to answer questions because my time is taken up trying to run the shop and keep everybody going. The two ladies that answer the phone can answer any question you might have as far as doing business with Agco or Correct. making an appointment or anything like that. But if you have a technical question that you'd like an answer to, just send me an email, and I'll get that back to you as quick as I can. Or call right the radio now. show. <laughs> <laughs> we got every single line wide That's open. It. You just give us a call and get you an answer direct and to the point. Sure. I thought that we could talk just a little bit. I know we haven't spoken a while about drive shafts, uh-huh. universal joints, CV joints, right. that kind of thing. And that's one of those deals that a lot of times people call us and they'll say something like, I've got a vibration in my truck at 70 miles an hour. And I've had to balance the tires, I've had balance tires six balance, times. And, I've changed right. the tires. I've done this. I've done that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you say, well, you know, that may be a universal joint. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, they're fine. Okay, how do you know they're fine? Well, I got on there and I moved them back and forth, and they don't, there's no slack in them. Well, again, that is one test of a universal joint. Right. They fail in different ways. Certainly, a catastrophically failed joint may have some slack in it. Sure. But it can also be bad. It can be tight. It can be almost froze up. It can have a bad roller and have no slack in it whatsoever. Right. Most of the time, by the time the slack gets in it, the joint has been showing signs of going bad. Mm-hmm. It may have just not been noticed yet. Right. Because that joint is going to run dry. And when those rollers run dry, they're going to start getting stiff. And as they keep turning and grinding with no lubricant in them, then the, the little rollers come apart and you get the slack in. And then you have a catastrophic failure and it's slack. But it's just like saying, just because my blood pressure is very good doesn't mean I'm not ill. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can have perfect blood pressure and have a heart attack tomorrow. Sure. I can have perfect blood pressure and be eaten up with some form of cancer. I mean, there's lots of ways people have maladies, and it's the same thing with cars. Not every car is going to have the same exact problems. Right. 
What happens very often, particularly in pickup trucks, people will drive them through high water, high standing water. And when I say high water, I'm not talking about over the doors. I'm talking Up eight, to the, eight, ten inches deep. Right. Well, that back U joint is probably submerged in water at that point. It's turning, and the water leaks in past the little seals because they're not water seals. They're, they're there to keep big dirt and grit out and to keep the grease in. The water leaks past the seal. It emulsifies the grease. It quits lubricating. It doesn't fail that day. Sure. It fails six months, maybe a year later. And the way it may fail, you may just have like a little chirping noise when you're rolling real slow. Chirp, 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 chirp. Sometimes only in reverse. Maybe only in reverse. Sometimes only in drive. And you may not ever relate that back to a universal joint. Mm -hmm. Another way they fail is a vibration, particularly a vibration at higher speeds. Right. Because the drive shaft, because of the rear end ratio, may be turning three to four times times as fast as the wheels. Right. So at 60 miles an hour, the drive shaft could theoretically be turning 240 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So anything that just barely affects the balance of that shaft is going to give you a tremendous vibration. Sure. One way that you can kind of detect a vibration in, say, a drive shaft as opposed to a tire, you can get it up to the speed where the vibration is there. Let's say it's at 70 miles an hour. Okay. Bring it up maybe to 75 miles an hour, let off the gas, kick it in neutral, let it coast back down through that range. If the vibration is not there on coast, but it is there on acceleration or, or driving along, then you're more likely into a driveline type of a vibration because the tire is spinning the same speed. It doesn't care whether you are accelerating or right. driving or coasting. So that's just kind of one easy way to t- determine. Now, another way you can get a vibration like that from a drive shaft, of course, is any damage to the drive shaft. Right. If it's, if it's bent the least m- amount, I mean, just a, a little nick in it sometimes Almost will knock them out of balance. Almost an indistinguishable little nick or dent in a dry shaft will cause a pretty significant vibration. I've seen things hop up off the road, and it just puts a tiny dent in it. Mm-hmm. And the guy, changing, he starts changing tires. He changes this. He changes that. He spends thousands of dollars. Then he brings it to us, and we say, well, your dry shaft's bent. Well, let me see it. And you show, oh, not that little old thing. Right. Yeah, that yeah, little that, old thing. Right. <laughs> That's a, a balanced component, and a two-piece dry shaft, has even more balance in it because it is two separate pieces turning in different phases, uh, phases, mm-hmm. if you per se. So it, it is extremely sensitive to balance. Mm-hmm. And you know, you got to remember that drive shaft can be anywhere from five to six feet long. Sure. Can be maybe three to four inches in diameter. That's a big, heavy piece of machinery spinning around 240 miles an hour under your truck. Right. So something like a tire where a quarter of an ounce, you're really not going to feel it. I mean, we're talking down to hundreds of an ounce right. can cause a vibration on a drive shaft. A quarter ounce in a drive shaft will shake you out the vehicle. Oh, yeah. You, it, it'd probably fly out of the car just because it's spinning so much faster and it's so much larger type of device that's spinning around. But that's one of the things that we see. And like I said, that's one reason that gets misdiagnosed sure. so often. And there's also a hanger bearing, which can also go bad. Right. And generally, that's not going to cause a vibration so much because it's not spinning around with the mass of the drive shaft. It's just sitting there turning and holding the drive shaft in position. Most often, it gives a noise. Right. Or a, a knock on acceleration. Correct. Because when you accelerate on a two-piece drive shaft with a center hanger, the drive shaft wants to turn up and the rear end wants to keep it turned down. And the only thing keeping that in line is that hanger bearing in the center. Mm-hmm. 
Well, when it goes bad, it starts flexing right there, and it starts beating and banging underneath the bottom of the car. That's right. I've also seen it misdiagnosed as a wheel bearing noise because sure. it sounds almost like a wheel bearing, about the same speed yeah, and everything. It it's is a bearing. bearing. So I've seen that would have changed all four wheel bearings to have the same noise, yep. and it was a drive shaft bearing. Yep. Now, one other thing, too, you kind of hit on that a little bit. One thing can cause a vibration of drive shaft. If you change the attitude of your truck at all, in other words, if you raise it up, or lower, lower it down, and I said truck, but it could be a car, it could be anything with a drive shaft in it. If you change the height of the vehicle, because the height of the rear differential does not change, because that's fixed by the size of the wheels and tires, it's going to be so high above the growth. Mm-hmm. When you lower the body down, you change the angle of that drive shaft. Right. And if you get the angle off, it can go to a, a pretty bad vibration. You see that a lot in Jeeps. Your four-wheel drive Jeeps, well, because... Especially your little CJs and your Wranglers, right, because right. that drive shaft is so tiny, so right, short. It's, it's only about 18 inches long, right? and it's designed to run in a phase, you know, set from the factory. Well, when you start putting a lift kit on it, you change the angle on those two U-joints to they're almost maxed well, in, their, yeah. in their phase. And they'll and, start tearing up U-joints, oh, yeah. tearing up drive shafts, vibrating to beat the band. And I think there's an aftermarket CV shaft that you can buy yes. that can deal with a lot more of that because those little vehicles are so common to be jacked up oh, with yeah. big tires on all oh, that. Yeah. So that's one real, real problematic thing you see with them. That CV joint gives you more range. Right. A CV joint can turn about 30 to 40 degrees, whereas a U-joint can only operate over maybe two two to five degrees right. at most, and it's not going to operate at that range for very long. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, one last quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. Still got a few minutes left. And, you know, we were talking about drive shafts, and before we got off the break, we said a little bit about the CV shafts that mm-hmm. go into Jeeps. Right. That is kind of the same design that goes in a front-wheel drive car. Right. And those give trouble time to time. Most of the time, the little boots dry rot, and mm-hmm. they start leaking. All the grease comes out, and you get that distinctive click, clack, click, clack, clack, clack yep. when you turn and accelerate. But there are other ways that they do go bad. Well, and I've had a 1,000 people bring a car in, and I don't want to steal your thunder as far as the other things that go wrong, but with a complaint of, say, a vibration on acceleration or something, and you tell them it's the drive. Oh, no, the boots are good. I've checked them. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that is one way that a drive shaft fails. Well, That's it's, it. not, it's not clicking. Okay, that That's is another, another way. way. <laughs> <laughs> but a third way is you get a vibration on acceleration. Mm-hmm. When you accelerate, you can feel you can feel the whole car shake in the front, and as soon as you quit accelerating, 
it goes away. Right. That is a distinct inner CV joint, which they actually call a CV tripod. Right. That has worn out for one reason or the other. And what happens, unfortunately, that problem can beget other problems and in the situation because when it starts out, it's usually fairly subtle. And human nature being what it is, it's subtle. It doesn't Put it stop off. the car from going. They keep driving it. Right. Well, the shaking ends up beating the inner tie rods out. Well, now it gets intolerable. So what you do is you accelerate and the whole car just all over the road. Yep. Well, the first thing they do, they go in and somebody tells them the inner tie rods are bad. Well, they, so they pop two new inner tie rods on there. Okay, well, it's slightly better for a while, but then it gets bad again. Well, they put another set on there. Right. Well, again, what you've done is you're treating a symptom of another problem. Correct. The inner CV joint caused the problem. It beat the inner tie rods up. Unrepaired, that can end up tearing up the differential carrier bearings and sure. transmission. Sure. At very least, you're going to tear the seals up and the trans is going to start It'll leaking. It'll start leaking. I've seen even wallow the case out oh, on yeah. some transmissions where the transmission was no longer repairable. It goes far enough. Yeah, it, because it's a, a vibration and almost any vibration. People will say, well, when do you have to worry about a vibration? Well, basically, almost any vibration is causing a problem. There, the vibration is there. It's just it may be tuned to where you're not driving mm -hmm. or you drive very seldom. Well, but the vibration is always there. If you have inner CV joints that are bad, but you don't accelerate very heavy, you just kind of coast along. You may not notice it. It may be very almost unnoticeable, and you may have just gotten used to it. I know we have cars come in for other problems. They'll say, well, when I hit my brakes, it shakes. Uh -huh. You check the car, it's got two warped rotors on it. Right. Well, you fix that problem, and then they'll bring it back and say, well, it's, it's still shaking. It shakes when you hit the brake. No, it shakes when I accelerate now. Well, now, that's not the same problem. Exactly. And, you know, if you did not tell me there was two problems, you said the brakes were shaking. I went and drove the car. I sure verified enough. the complaint. I repaired what you told me. To but I didn't go and try to drive it through every operational definition that could possibly be. If I noticed it, I would certainly tell you about it, but I may just not notice it. I drive in the car. I'm looking for a brake shutter. Sure. I find the brake shutter. I diagnose the brake shutter. But when the shutter in the brakes was bad enough, you didn't notice the shutter the acceleration. Now you fix that and you do. We see that a lot of times, too, with noises where someone will have a noise complaint. You repair that complaint. They'll say, well, it's still making noise. Well, yeah, it's got a different noise you couldn't hear exactly. because this one was making so much noise. And, and, you know, we've gotten pretty good at that. We can differentiate between a noise in the front and a noise in the back or, you know, left or right. Finding a noise is extremely difficult. You mm -hmm. wouldn't think it would be, but it is. Just because it may happen only at a range that you cannot reproduce in the shop. That's right. So you have to have some way to try to diagnose that noise at 50 miles an hour. Right. And it, it only does it at 50 miles an hour. Well, I, obviously, I can't crawl under the car and look and see what's going on at 50 miles an hour. Exactly. So now we're into putting microphones and stuff under the car, listening to different parts, going by experience, going by what affects the noise and all these sorts of things. But if you just can't duplicate the problem in the shop and you go and you start doing a lot of testing, if it's a high-mileage car, you're probably going to find more than one thing oh, yeah. that could cause this. For instance, we may go in and say, okay, well, we've got a noise at 50 miles an hour. This wheel bearing definitely has some slack in it. It definitely has some noise in it. And you can kind of hear it on the on the lift. You can run it up and RPMs up, and you can right. hear it a little bit in that on the lift. But I can also see where your muffler 
hangers are all sagged, and I can see where this is hitting on this, and it's also producing a noise at 50 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And I can see yak, 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 yak. You know, if you got a car with 150, 200,000 miles, there may be a whole lot of things that could potentially cause this noise. Sure. No way to verify it other than to say, okay, we know for sure this wheel These- bearing is bad. I cannot guarantee you that's all of the noise, but it has to be replaced regardless. Let's start with that and see. And that's just a prudent way to go about it. Otherwise, you let's go in and just fix everything that could possibly be wrong. Well, that's great, except you, you can walk you out of a car. Yeah, $3,000 repair bill. Yeah. And a lot of it may have been noises you weren't really concerned, concerned about. With. I get that a lot. You know, a vehicle would get dropped off. It's got a noise in the front. Mm-hmm. Well, when I get in it, there's a noise in the front. There's a noise in the door. There's a noise kind of in the center of the car. One in the seat. Right. One in the dash. What noise am I looking for? Yeah. A lot of times I have to get the customer to come back and say, look, show me the noise you're looking for. Right. Well, And that know, way I can go to it, and you, know, you may not be concerned about the rest of them. One customer may have a noise in the seat that's always been there. He's the gotten car used to it. He's gotten used to it. He doesn't even hear it anymore. But to me, it's extremely annoying. It, right. It, it's, it's a loud conk, 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 conk. The noise he's talking about is a very, very subtle noise that hadn't that been there. Just started. Yeah. But again, if I just get in the car and you say you got a noise, yeah, I hear a noise. Here yeah. it is. You need, you need a seat track. Okay. Well, now I still got the same noise. Well, no. You see, so that's why it's always best with stuff like that, be it a noise, be it a vibration, whatever, is if the customer can get in the car with the technician and point out the specific noise slash vibration, whatever that exactly. he is talking about. Because if you know about certain things on your car, you've accepted them. You don't care that they're there. Sure. That's your prerogative as a car owner to do whatever you want. But every car that comes into the shop is a new environment for the tech. Right. In other words, you drive this one car, you've driven a long time, you know exactly how it sounds. Now something is slightly different. The tech gets in his car. He drives hundreds of cars, if not thousands. Every one of them makes different kinds of noise. Sure. So that's why it's so important if you don't want to have to pay for a whole lot of extra stuff you didn't want to be to very, get... very specific. Yep. And I see clocks running down the wall area. I start winding on up, getting ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. And Find a written review and fill it out for us. That's right. Give us a written review. It'll move us up in the rankings to where when people type in auto repair, our name will come up close to the top of the list. More people listen. If you can't find a written review, just go to Google and put a review for our shop. We there appreciate is. that just as much. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.